Welcome to the Insert Adventist podcast, an extension of the Insert Adventist blog where life and religion are not black and white. I'm CH. I'm your host. If you're new here, welcome. We're glad to have you. If you've been here before, welcome back. In any event, let's get into this episode. So on this episode, we're on episode six now. We're going to be talking about virginity and relationships and just kind of the ways in which the church doesn't really address, <laughs> you know, all of our all of our needs um, when it comes to those things. I believe for several reasons in the Bible's prohibition of premarital sex. And not just because the Bible said it or my pastor said it or my Christian elementary school teacher said so. Um, In fact, I believe that Christian education could do more to educate young people about sex. I don't remember having sex ed in school. I'm pretty sure I did not have sex ed in school. And I think that is one way in which Christian education tends to fall short. Um, Because I remember in elementary school having friends who were engaging in sexual activities. And yes, I said elementary school. (laughs) And middle school, you know, we're 11 and 12 years old. And I remember having friends who were engaging in certain activities. And I also remember having friends that when we found out about that friend doing so, we were like, what are you doing? That's crazy. And she's like, but it's my body. And it's like, well, you know, yeah, it is. (laughs) You know, so people tend to think that younger kids don't need to be exposed to certain things that sex education would expose them to. But the truth of the matter is, is that young people are exposed to those things anyway. And back then that was before social media. So imagine how much more exposed young people are to sexual things now in the age of social media and where everything is shared so easily on the internet. You know, and then I also hesitate to refer to virginity as purity. I have an issue with referring to virginity as purity. You know, the church's insistence on a woman's purity can be detrimental to her well-being. And the focus is always on the girls. You know, it's it's on the girl's ability to remain pure, quote unquote. But it doesn't put the same responsibility on boys. Boys are never the focus of purity balls. Boys are never encouraged to sign contracts with their opposite sex parent that they won't have sex until they get married. That responsibility is placed squarely on the shoulders of girls. And because of that, when things happen, it's always the girl's fault. Boys are not held to the same responsibility that girls are and that leads to a lot of self-esteem things so even when it comes to the way girls dress and the way they talk and the way they move and especially as they begin to develop and their breasts are growing and their hips are spreading and all of these things it's it's to the point where they are shamed about becoming women and, you know, and have in their bodies growing into 
um, you know, their, their form and growing into themselves and maturing and, you know, going through puberty and things like that. It's kind of a sense of, well, you got to hide that because, you know, you're going to, you're going to disturb the boys. You're going to make the boys think things. You're going to, you know, lead the boys astray. And so I don't like referring to virginity as puberty as purity but I do believe that there is value in waiting until marriage or at least until one is in a long-term committed relationship you know I think that sex requires a safe space there has to be trust and fidelity between the two people there has to be love and safety between the two people there has to be protection of not just the body but of the heart of the spirit of the mind the you know in just a general sense when two people are in a faithful committed relationship there is a lower risk of disease there's even a lower risk of heartbreak it's that protection that is involved in marriage, in a godly marriage, because all marriages are not the same. And here, here the one thing that my psychology profession, professor used to say in my psychology of women class was not all people, not all the time. And so I want to keep that theme with things that I'm saying is that not all people, not all the time. You know, these are just generalizations. These are things that tend to be true, but not all people and not all the time. So one thing that I know for myself is that keeping sex out of a relationship prevents me from being overly attached to people who are not good for me the bond that is created when you have sex with someone it's mental it's physical it's emotional it's spiritual and it's more difficult to pull yourself out of a situation once you've shared your body with somebody and I know that people like to mention soul ties you know that's been a a a trending term in some religious circles But soul ties are not just made in a sexual act. And so, and yes, you can develop a soul tie with someone, you know, after having sex. And I'm not, and I don't believe in the the theory that a little piece of you is left with each person, you know, because then after a while, there'd be no pieces of you left. And that's just not how it works. I do believe that you build connections with people and having sex and then, you know, it's some of those connections are more difficult to break. But let me tell you, you can also build soul ties with people that you've never had sex with because it's about a deeper internal connection and it's not just about sex. It's about your soul and your soul can be connected to another person without even having sex with that person. You know, and sex is not a big deal to a lot of people. 
even a lot of Christian people, it's not a big deal. There's not a whole lot of people who maintain that insistence on waiting until marriage until they have sex. And a lot of people mentally disconnect the spiritual aspect from the physical act. And other people can't separate the two. You know, an abstinence and celibacy should be more so about our individual relationships with God and not necessarily a determination of our value. In a lot of cultures, a woman's value is placed in her virginity. Uh, and not even that. In a lot of cultures, a woman's, va- a woman's value is placed in the presence of her hymen. And that's a whole other discussion. And let me just say that the hymen is not a determination of virginity. So I'm just going to leave that there because that's a whole other conversation. And it's going to prompt a discussion about certain celebrities and things like that. And I don't want to get into that. But we'll just say that the hymen is not a determination of virginity. And there's a lot of cultures and a lot of Christian people that place a person's worth, a woman's particularly, her worth, her value in whether or not she is a virgin, whether or not she waited until she got married to have sex, whether or not she had children outside of marriage, those things. And that's not where our value should be placed. Our value should be placed in our individual walk with God. And that's where we decide whether or not we feel called to practice abstinence or celibacy. You know, the church's insistence on this so-called purity leaves all the people who didn't have a choice the first time they had sex out of the equation. You know, it leaves out those people. And it's like their value is not based on that one act. You know, and the insistence on virginity is so prioritized as a character trait and it really just creates a basis for shame. I made a choice initially when I was a teenager to wait until I got married to have sex because I felt that's what God wanted me to do. And I've made similar choices through each of my relationships, but I've also made different choices through each of my relationships. And young people need to be taught how to have healthy romantic relationships. And that's one thing that I did not get growing up. You know, we hear, don't have sex until you're married. We hear, don't be unequally yoked. But those two statements don't help me navigate relationships. (laughs) You know, they throw out these things, but they don't tell us what it means. They don't tell us how to do it. What things can we compromise on with a significant other so that they don't become a point of contention because they're not that big of a deal? And what things are things that we should not compromise on at all because they are a big deal and they will affect how we walk in this world. When sex is the biggest factor in a relationship, it creates tension that's difficult to break through and then you never really get to enjoy the other person. For me, I've been connected to one person for all of my adult life. We met 
just after I turned 18 and we've been in communication with each other on and off ever since then and we're connected in a way that I'm really not sure how to explain and this is why I said that you can create a soul tie with someone you've never had sex with because we've never been in a committed relationship with each other we've never had sex and sex has been that point of contention in our relationship since I was 18 and no matter how much we care about each other we can't move past that wall now religion has also been a topic of disagreement as well but we've never actually been able to explore why religion is an issue because we've never gotten past the sex conversation (laughs) you know and We've never been able to explore the deeper aspects of our connection and why we feel so connected to each other because we're constantly pushing each other away and then coming back to each other. And then no matter how much either of us wants to be done with the will they, won't they situation, we always find ourselves coming back to each other. And if I'm honest, I really think that we could have been good for each other. I think we could have had a good relationship if we were be if we were able to come to a place of understanding and selflessness when we first started dating but at this point I kind of feel like it might be too late for that because we're older and we're definitely more set in our ways and now we have more things that would be points of contention because when we first started dating I planned to have all the children (laughs) You know, and now I've grown to a place where I don't want kids. And so now that has become an issue in our relationship that wasn't an issue before. And so at this point, I'm just waiting on new love, really. The kind of love that feels like a calm day at the beach where, you know, there we're connected and there's no tension it's just it's just really you know we're just able to be and we're able to learn each other and grow together and there's not this underlying thing of disagreement that affects all of our decisions and honestly i'm just kind of winging it nobody tells us how to navigate these things you know it's like growing up in the Adventist church and in Christian school all the adults thought we would just go to Oakwood or Andrews or Southern meet our spouse get married right out of college and you know that was it nobody ever told me how to navigate romantic relationships and so I'm just trying to figure things out as I go and I have no idea if I'm making the right decisions. I have no idea if I'm making certain things too big of an issue in my relationships with people, in my romantic relationships. The only instruction I got when I was a teenager beginning to explore relationships and even in my early 20s was not to be unequally yoked. But what does that even mean? What to, to what extent 
am I not supposed to be unequally yoked? Because I've been searching for the perfect Adventist, but not too Adventist man my entire dating life. And I've never met a man with mutual interest who was even close to that. You know, I don't even meet Adventist men anymore. Not since my early 20s when I was in the college age Sabbath school class. You know, and can a person be equally yoked with someone who doesn't share the same religious beliefs? Because in all the conversations about being equally yoked, it's always been about being in relationship with other Adventist people. But I dare to say, yeah, a person can be equally yoked with someone who doesn't share the same religious beliefs. I think that if both people love God and love and respect each other and have similar visions for the life they want individually and as a unit, that they can be you know some re- some religious differences can be overcome and i want to emphasize that some because not all religious differences can be overcome you know i personally can't build a life with a man who does not believe in god or does not believe in prayer or does not believe in praise and worship because i fully intend to have a prayer life with my husband i pray for my future husband now and I want a man who is rooted in faith and whose life is rooted in God and who will pray for me and pray over me and pray with me. That is important to me. That is foundational to me. You know, so I can't believe I can't be with a man who does not believe in God or does not believe in prayer. But I don't think a man has to be Seventh-day Adventist to have that foundation. As long as our day-to-day lives are in alignment as long as our prayers are working to each other's benefit and not to each other's detriment. And as long as we can keep pork and seafood out of the house, (laughs) I feel like it could work. And of course, you know, God has to be our guide in that relationship. You know, I cannot have a relationship where God is not the center because God is the center of my life. So God has to be the center of my relationship. And could I be wrong? Yeah, absolutely. I have watched several relationship sermon series, but I haven't encountered any by Adventist pastors that I can remember, Um, and particularly not recently. And I've received general Christian relationship advice, but none that specifically addressed the challenges of Adventist women, especially relating to dating in relation to dating non-Evanist men. So one thing that we're taught is that the man should be the spiritual head of the household within a marriage. And, and you know, he's supposed to be the spiritual leader. But how does that work for the Adventist woman Who's married to a non-Evanist man? What if her husband is Baptist or Lutheran or Jewish or God forbid he's Catholic? You know, how does that work with him as the head of the household, the spiritual head of the household, the spiritual leader of the household? Nobody tells me how to navigate those things. Nobody tells us how to navigate those things. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe your church has a series on navigating romantic relationships. 
um, for people who are not in that 13 to 25 young adult age group. Maybe you got the instruction on how to navigate um, multi-religious romantic relationships, but I did not. And all of my Adventist friends either married non-SDA people and left the church or they left the church and married non-Adventist people. And honestly, growing up, a lot of what I saw was women in the church who I knew were married, but whose husbands were never with them. There was, there were very few women who I saw with their husbands at church, especially the the ones that I we knew personally, like within our family. And so I didn't want that for myself. I always thought, I don't want that. I don't want to be at church, praising God, involved in ministry, and my husband's not with me. I felt like, and I still feel like, I need my partner to be involved in my faith. And to be at church with me. You know, I always desired for my husband to be seated next to me on Sabbath morning at church. And I guess now that goes for virtual church and drive-in church too, because that's what we're doing now. But I never wanted it to be where our religious beliefs were so different that we couldn't worship together. And I do believe that it's a real possibility, even if someone isn't SDA, that he would be present with me in my faith and in my religion. But I also know that that presents a challenge. And I've always dated non-Adventist men. And for the most part, religion wasn't the thing that did not allow the relationship to work. But it was, it was a factor. And let's be honest. And so... I just want to pose a couple of questions. So to my Adventist people who are dating non-Adventist people, how are you navigating your romantic relationships with these non-Adventist people while maintaining your Adventist beliefs? Because I know that there are people who, just like we talked about when we're talking about how Adventist I am and the levels um, and different variations of Adventist people, there are people who claim to be Adventist, who identify as Adventist or whatever, and they don't regularly attend church or they're not very strict Adventists. And so in those cases, I would think that dating a non-Adventist person wasn't, you know, that big of a deal. But for those of you who are on the stricter side or the more conservative side of Adventism, how are you navigating your relationships with non-Adventist people while maintaining your beliefs? And to my non-Adventist listeners, how do you feel about being in a romantic relationship or in a marriage with an SDA person? Because it's one thing to be dating somebody. It's another thing to be considering marriage and building your life with someone who has a different set of Adventist beliefs. And to those of you who are listening, to my Adventist people who have Adventist partners, where are you finding on that? Because I need to know. 
I have not met any Adventist men as an adult. So I've met former Adventists. <laughs> I have met men who used to be Adventists or who grew up Adventists or whose grandmama is Adventist. But I have not met any practicing Adventist man as an adult. So let me know. Send me a message on Anchor. Hit me up through the contact form on insertadventist.com or slide into the Instagram DMs at insert underscore Adventist and let me know. I want to know how you guys are doing this whole romantic relationship thing in your late 20s, in your 30s. And even beyond that, you know, because relationships are different in every age. And so I need to know what to expect going forward. And so I would really like to hear about your experiences and what you're doing now and what you've been through and, you know, how you're making that all work. So with that, we have come to the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, feel free to share it with someone who you also think would enjoy it. Feel free to subscribe. We are on Anchor and on Spotify and on Google and then on other podcast hosting sites that I've never heard of. So (laughs) we're there too. And then you can also find the podcast feed at insertadventist.com. We have a podcast page or you can find the feed there as well. And so next week, we're going to be talking generally about dating and how the heck we're doing that now. So I pray that you have a great week and we'll see you next time.